Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Joining us now, the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. He is going to become the voice of the Final Four on CBS. CBS, Turner, and so much more. Yes, with the Brooklyn Nets. And just overall, cool dude. And Ian Eagle joins us now. Ian, how are you doing? Hey, what's up, JMV? How you doing, bud? You allowed to get yourself a breather, a little bit of a break, some vacation time <laughs> I'm now? Allowed. I'm allowed. I realize that I'm in a pretty good mental space. I was doing errands last week, <laughs> and I had no idea what day it was. That's beautiful. I was like, oh, I've arrived. This is glorious. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm in that mode, and I'll probably be in this mode till preseason NFL, and then uh, we'll ramp back up and get to it. Do you sleep in? I do, yes. I enjoy uh, a good night's sleep and then, like, the tack on, lay in your bed, scroll through your phone. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, you look up. You're like, wait, it's 940? <laughs> How? <laughs> what have I been doing for the last hour and 58 minutes? Yeah, no, I uh, I dig that. Because I don't get to do that when we get rolling. And the idea of it just sounds so appealing during what is my off season. So it's been great. I like putting uh, Pluto TV on and the, uh, Andy Griffith, <laughs> the Andy Griffith channel. Right. And I just let that roll, and sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and go, hey, wait a minute, what episode's this? Oh, yeah, Quiet Sam. I like that one. And watch it for about five minutes, fall back asleep, and do the same thing three hours later. That's how I can tell I'm in a good space there. Yeah. Yeah, so here in New Jersey, we get uh, Me TV. Yes, you which, do. Yeah. And, you know, you pop it on, you have no idea what's going to pop on, but it's in my rotation. If I start going through channels, there's that mental – muscle memory of oh yeah just hit that channel and i could get sucked into a carol burnett show sure you could <laughs> i could i could get a hogan's heroes out of left field you just don't know you have no idea get smart could pop by i might yeah. stick with it for 18 minutes so i like those kinds of options during the off season of no script i don't i must say this i'm going to be just completely upfront i don't really drink during the football and basketball seasons because I'm on flights and sleep is really important. You have to sleep fast, not necessarily get a lot of sleep, but you got to get it done. But then I hit this time of year and I'll just sample it all. Like, yeah. What, what's that? Mixed drink? Yeah. Bring it. Let's try it. What is it? There's some, a berry in there. Sure. Oh, why yeah. Not? Yeah, so I have, been good. I've got to get you. Um, I am with Heaven Hill Distillery, and uh, one of our, our, our betting analysts around here is Brent Halverson. I'll have to get uh, a case of Larceny Bourbon sent, <laughs> sent in New Jersey <laughs> way for you right there. You may not talk to me a year from now. You're like, what happened? I don't know. He went bourbon, and he never came back. <laughs> I'm telling you, it is the absolute best. And here's what you do in the summertime, especially now you're chilling and not working. You drop some ginger ale along with a lot of ice get yourself a little okay. uh a yeti thermos put it all together with that larceny bourbon the best summertime drink you've ever had 
right, I'm writing this down. This this sounds like my 2023 new drink. Try something different that you've never tried before. So I got it. I like that. Um, are, are you missing it all doing the games? Because to me, and we talked about this about a month or so ago, this has been such yeah. an incredible NBA postseason and continues to be up until the finals. Are you missing doing the games? Yeah, I mean, there's a part of me that that obviously misses being there, misses the action of it, misses seeing people because it is a fun atmosphere. And the way things are set up in in my world, you don't know when you're finished. So if there was a Game 7 Miami and the Knicks, we were doing it on TNT. So when we finished Game 5, we did some of the goodbyes, but not completely because we thought there was a chance we would all – be back together for a game seven. Now you're watching game six and waiting to see not only the fate of the series, but are we working? Are we back together? So when Miami got it done in game six, it was a tight game. Knicks had chances. Uh, It was the Brunson turnover. And certainly he deserves no blame because they're not in that series without him. But the turnover late basically sealed their fate. And then I knew, oh, that's it. It's over just like that. Yeah. It's a thud. And you know that your season is over. But I've been enjoying it from this position, watching the games, taking in the action. The very, to me, entertaining recency bias that takes place with each game. After game one, the reaction, ah, Denver, too big, too strong, too talented. Miami can't keep up with them. Miami can't match up with them. And that was the general consensus. And then game two happens, the toughness of the heat and the resiliency, the fourth quarter performance, and now you're hearing a lot of, ah, maybe there's just something with this Miami team. They've just got that that it factor. So it, it is entertaining to hear all the different takes, all the different narratives. The reality is I think people continue to underestimate Miami, and they go with the storyline that they're not as talented. Oh, they're just not as talented as Boston. They're not as talented. Yes, they are. They just did it in a different way. They've accumulated talent in a different way, and they develop talent in a different way with all of these undrafted guys. Yes, it's not frontline superstars. And I think what we have learned, John, uh, about all this, uh, for those who didn't know it already, Eric Spolstra may be the best coach in the NBA. He's that good. Do you think that we, or NBA fans in general, need this Miami team more than we needed the whole big three concept 10 plus years ago? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I think that served a purpose at a time when the NBA was absolutely thirsting for LeBron James to fulfill all of the promise that he had and the legendary status that we assumed he could one day achieve. And the only way to do that is you got to win championships. That completes the picture. So you look back now with LeBron, with Wade, with Bosh, with the role players that they had, different guys that came in. And sometimes you forget Gary Payton at the end of his career pops in and plays a huge role. Ray Allen pops in, plays a huge role. Uh, These guys contributed in a major way, although we still focus in on the big three. Where are we today? Players have a lot of power, and they've created that power based on the fact that they can move around, that they can pair off. 
And with that power comes a lot of responsibility. It can go sideways. And I saw it, obviously, firsthand with the Nets, with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and James Harden. When it imploded, it really imploded. It has now affected the, I don't want to say legacies, but certainly the personas of some of the players that that I just mentioned. So what are we getting now with this Miami team? We're getting someone that had been overlooked throughout his life, Jimmy Butler, if you want to go back and read about him and research. Really incredible that he is here, that he is at the level that he is at, and he is an alpha, a clear alpha that takes a lot on his own shoulders. But it's not just him. And the fact that we're seeing Bam Adebayo really develop into a primetime player and we're seeing the likes of Caleb Martin and Gabe Vincent, Duncan Robinson, players that anybody in the league could have had. Kevin Love, who was tossed aside by Cleveland at this stage in his career. Max Struess, another one any team in the league could have had. So to answer your question, JMV, yes. Uh, I do think that maybe fans didn't realize it, but – it may have been exactly what they needed just to believe that you can do it the right way in this league and get positive results. Ian Eagle joins us of Turner and CBS. I, I do. I think shuffling the deck has gone a long way in helping build more interest in this postseason with what you just accurately described regarding Miami. But, you know, Denver ran rough shot over most teams as it felt this year, certainly out West, but yep. it's not like everybody around was really concentrating, paying attention. There were a lot of other, you know, with the, with the Lakers and you know, what was going on in Phoenix, you know, there's a lot of other concentration going on with those other teams than them. So it, it does feel fresh and new with these two teams. And, you know, normally, normally the rating system would say, well, you know what, if you don't have these uh, big market type of personalities, elite level players, mm-hmm. which Jokic is one, by the way, but I don't know if if they would say he's somebody that's going to be a ratings demon as far as what he's yep. going to bring in. But to me, it does. And to others, it does. It's fresh and new. That's how it feels. And it's genuinely been fantastic to watch. I agree. And I think on the Denver side, look, they've gone under the radar. There's no doubt. But when you win a championship, and if they win this championship, it changes the way people see you. It changes the way that people talk about you. And it changes the way that you are now viewed throughout the rest of your career. So in this particular case, Denver is the type of team that people may now find an interest in moving forward. There's always a curiosity if a team can sustain. And certainly with Jokic, There is building curiosity because of the way he plays. It's not like everybody else. It is a little bit different. It's a little bit more old school. We've gone away from that. Someone that can dominate a game in so many ways, back to the basket, passing out of the post, and do it in the style that he does it is overtly impressive. With that said, I think Denver also benefited a bit, and this happens all the time, and you've talked about over your years doing talk radio, different teams, different individuals that create more of a visceral effect, a chip on their shoulder, even if it's not there. And maybe it was there a bit with Denver, but they created it as if there was more to it. How many times would they say, well, they're saying this and they're counting, you know, the the idea that the, the national media 
has been against the Denver Nuggets. They haven't. Maybe it took them a little longer to get there, but this team has a lot of really good stories, a lot of talent, and if they win the championship, they're going to get their roses. The disrespect angle, which happens a lot. Any great athlete will find something, a morsel of disrespect and use it as fuel. And the Nuggets have done that. And by the way, they should. If I'm their head coach, I'm Michael Malone. I'm pounding that point home as often as I can to try to create an edginess to my team that that wants to overcome it. You know, it's funny, too. He, he seems like he says stuff uh, it really in in public, in front of the microphones and the cameras, stuff about his team yeah. that you know a lot of others would not do. <laughs> You're right. You're right. He's very blunt. And he, he always has been. Uh, I, you know, I've obviously covered games of his and interviewed him on a few occasions through the years. He's a really good guy. He's very likable. He's really smart. He's from this area. Went to high school about 15 minutes from where I live at Seton Hall Prep. And I think he's one of those guys. I'm, I'm going to basically parrot what I just said. He has found reasons for people to doubt him. And his dad was a coach. So he did have that, that first step into the profession, but it guarantees you nothing. He's proven that he knows what he's doing. And I think he recognizes the dynamic with his team, that they respond to it. Some teams would not. And there are some guys that would never step in front of the microphone and say the things that he said. He knows that his team can handle it. And I'm presuming that he believes it will actually help them. He is uh, Ian Eagle of Turner and CBS, the voice of the Final Four, joining us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You probably have heard I had mentioned that and teased it on the way in regarding Isaiah Rogers and his situation here with the Colts. I had said this yesterday that I'm, I'm not surprised. I, I'm going to be more surprised if this doesn't happen as often as I believe it's going to start to happen. Would you agree? I would agree, and I think we have to really evaluate the, the philosophy in place here, and not to say that uh, the league is trying to draw a very clear line between what you can do and what you can't do, and what seems pretty obvious to me. I'm not someone who gambles. I'm not someone who delves into that world, so I'm never walking a fine line, but I play fantasy football. I've been in the same league since 1991 with the same bunch of guys. And I recognize that you can go down rabbit holes and it's hard to get out. So for a bunch of these young guys that are on their phone all the time, that's the generation that we're dealing with here. Their whole life is on that phone. I can absolutely envision how someone could get into that situation and think maybe for a moment, like, oh, no, this isn't a big deal. Like, I'm just, you know, it's a couple of bucks. I'm just doing this. I'm doing that. And then the realization that you were naive or you didn't fully understand or it was a weak moment. So, look, I'm not making excuses for anybody. I'm just trying to live in the real world and recognize that 23, 24, 25, 26-year-old NFL players make mistakes. And maybe there will be a reevaluation on how this is handled. Maybe it's a warning first time around. Uh, maybe there is a, a different place that we get to as these situations continue to pop up. But 
I think you're right. I, it's not the last that we've no. heard of it, and uh, it's probably going to pop up quite a bit more. The question, as we know, is the bigger name that you are, the more news that it produces. That's how it works. And then you think about it from this standpoint, with a bigger name, or let's just say more names, when do, the, do, do fans start wondering about the integrity of, of the game yeah. now we just viewed around here Ian, as all right it's just uh, isaiah rogers made knucklehead decisions all right and yep. what he has done is he has really foobarred his own career here and maybe likely someplace else at least for the next year that's just a knucklehead decision but what happens if this starts to infiltrate the integrity of the game through the through the lens of the fans that's when you're going to have a major issue there's no doubt about it and, and look these things evolve. Uh, I remember very vividly being at CBS and the philosophy was clear. You do not discuss fantasy football on television. You do not incorporate it in your coverage. And then a couple of years later, there's a show and there's a sponsor and there's chatter and there's a pregame hit. So things changed. They did change. Things can change here, but you just nailed it. If for one moment you're planting a seed in the consumer's head that the game is not on the up and up, that's when we have a legitimate problem. And going down this road when players are gambling, that's when those seeds of doubt could be planted, that someone could be in a position where they make a really bad decision or they get caught up with the wrong group of people. It's happened, as we know. The NFL is trying to avoid a a mushroom cloud of epic proportions. And by doing what they're doing, they're policing the players by being pretty strong on this front. You know, will it change their actions? Will we see the numbers start to decrease because people within the league are cognizant of the fact that they can't mess around with this? I don't know, but I'm with you on your initial comment. It's not the last of it. There's going to be more before we we get to opening NFL kickoff weekend. Ian Eagles with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pylon. We talked about last time you were on, you're now going to become the uh, voice of the Final Four, which is awesome. So I, I don't, I'm assuming maybe you have at least uh, somewhat of a, a schedule ironed out. Will you take over doing college basketball immediately following your NFL play-by-play duties? How's that going to work? Yeah, that's the plan. Uh, if there are a couple of weekends where I might be able to swing a college game on a Saturday and my NFL game is close by, if it means I get in there with Bill Raftery for a game, an extra game here and there, I think we'll try to pull it off. But I don't think we're going to look at the schedule and change what would have been the assignment on Sunday just to be able to, to get a college basketball game in. So it really is a fluid situation. Obviously, I'll live in that world throughout, but I was already doing that because of my schedule. I was basically jumping in anyway. Jim. Uh, Nance wasn't calling a whole lot of of regular season games. So the last, I'd say, five seasons, ever since Vern uh, retired from doing play-by-play on a week-in, week-out basis, I had stepped in and was doing uh, a lot of games with Bill. So not a whole lot will change for me on the regular season front. 
biggest change will be Big Ten tournament as opposed to the Atlantic Ten tournament. That's what I had been calling the last uh, number of years. And then obviously being paired with Bill, Grant, and, and Tracy for the NCAA tournament right straight through. So that part of it's going to be fantastic. They're just terrific people. All three are very close friends. So to work with your friends, to work with people that you like and respect, and then get to do it on the biggest stage, you can't ask for much more than that from um, my position. You, you do that, NFL, as we mentioned, NBA, on Turner. I mean, this is living the dream right here. It is. I know. I'm waiting for someone to pinch me, and then uh, I'll realize I've got bourbon, ginger ale, in yes. a Yeti, and I'll wait, wait, is this real? Am I actually a dentist? What, what do I do for a living? No, man, that is awesome. Ian Eagle is with us. And before I let you go, last time we got into this a little bit, so you, you went to Syracuse, obviously. You're an alum. Yep. Uh, so you yep. were at the 1987 National Championship game in New Orleans, won by IU on that Keith Smart shot, correct? I was not at the game. I was a freshman in college. I was pledging a fraternity. And, I mean, this is the crazy thing of life. You know, at the time, it's the most important thing in your life is getting into this fraternity. And was told, you cannot travel. We need you in town. So I have very close friends, six or seven of them from college, that went, that rented a Winnebago and drove to New Orleans and I did not go. I watched the wow. game in Syracuse and felt all the emotion that was happening in New Orleans, the height of sensing that the national championship was going to belong to Syracuse, to the lows of watching Keith Smart hit the shot of his life, and Indiana celebrates a national title with Brent Musburger and Billy Packer on the call. Yeah. Was the Derek Coleman miss free throw? Biggest moment. What do you yeah. think the biggest moment was besides Smart and that shot make at the end? Uh, there was, you know, before that, it was a Howard Trish missed free throw. Yeah, so there was. were yeah. a few missed free throws leading up to it. And then if you want to watch it, you can. You put it on YouTube right now. There was no presence of mine after the missed free throw to, or after the made shot by Smart to call a timeout. Everyone was looking around. They had a timeout left. <laughs> And they didn't call it, so a few seconds came off the clock. They could have at least had some look at the horn, and it didn't It didn't happen that way. Yeah, and then if you remember, end of the first half, Alford started yeah. going off and yeah. making shots. And they had done a really good job in that first half prior against Alford, against Indiana, and had built a lead and looked like the better team. You know, D.C. was dominating on the inside. They looked like the better team. They looked like a championship team. But the Alford shots gave IU life, and then it carried over into the second. It really was a tremendous game. It was highly entertaining, well-played. Syracuse made a bunch of mistakes down the stretch, including not calling a timeout after the, the smart make. Mm, that was a, that was a really an amazing Final Four, too, because Syracuse, it was a big East battle with Providence and Billy Donovan right. with Rick Patino as the right. head coach in the national semifinal. Well. And, and my favorite yeah. IU game of all time is that national semifinal against UNLV. It's, it's my oh. favorite IU game ever. Awesome. And look, obviously UNLV, we know what they were all about. And then the next chapter developed with UNLV and Duke and, and their battle. So that was a, a bit of a precursor of, of what was to come. But it was a great time in college basketball. Uh, I think 
the the years that you recall based on your age, based on your experience. I think you and I discussed this the last time we chatted. There's a certain catalog that comes along with that. You literally remember where you were yep. during certain moments. And national for some reason, national championships, that's one of those things. It's, whether you're watching by yourself, because sometimes, you know, I know, and you're probably the same as me, sometimes you want to just be alone. And, yep. and watch the game and not be in a big crowd and not uh, be at a place where you're not catching the nuances or hearing the broadcast and, or distracted. And then other times, if the teams aren't as, as interesting to you, you're like, nah, let's go out or let's go watch it at a bar or watch it at a restaurant. It really depends on so many different factors, but that's one of those. Obviously, it, t- it touched me on a personal level. It was my freshman year. And then you think, oh, but they're so good. They'll get back. They'll be there. No, no, that was it. They uh, they never got to that level again within my tenure there. They eventually won it, of course, with Carmelo Anthony against Kansas, another game that came down to the wire. And uh, that was that was a special one for the university, of course. I, I just I think about it in terms you bring up um, you know, the games that you think about forever. You know where you were when that moment occurred, like 1983 and Lorenzo Charles in the putback or, you know, 80, 85 with uh, Harold Jensen just, you know, can't miss. Same. And Villanova couldn't miss in that championship game against Georgetown. And, you know, and obviously 87, like 86, I don't feel the same way. I know Purvis Ellison was, I think, the MVP of that with Louisville winning down in Dallas. 86. I don't have the same feeling in 88 with, you know, Manning and the Miracles winning that, but there are some that stand out, and that's cool about you because now your voice is going to be cataloged forever with many. That's pretty awesome right there. Oh, yeah. So awesome, and uh, beyond anything that that I dreamed of, of course, if you go into play-by-play, you think about, well, how far can I go with this? How far can I take it? But you don't really allow yourself to get to that place because, you know, the odds are are stacked against you. So, so many circumstances have to come into play, the right time, the right place, maintaining the rights. You know, there was a time where it looked like ESPN was going to get it. Uh, they were offering up a lot of money. They certainly had all of the the venues in which to play the games and – uh, CBS recognized they had to get a partner, and, and that's when Turner got involved and came together in this unprecedented pairing that that made it work. So it could have ended right there with uh, a new a new company doing the games, and that's part of the luck of the draw of this business. So Ian Eagle on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. All right, we'll have to get your address so I can send you some stuff this summer for your Larceny Bourbon and Ginger Rail summertime drinks, okay? Hey, I I have no background in it, so I'm just following your lead. <laughs> you got it, buddy. We'll stay in touch, too. I appreciate you, Ian. All right, John. You got it, man. It's we'll uh, Ian Eagle on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. One of the best conversations we have on this show is right there. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is a huge day in golf. You have a merger going on. LIV 
and the PGA. And for more on that via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, the 38th president of the PGA of America. He is the pro down at Legends in Franklin, a friend of this show. He is Ted Bishop. Ted, thanks for the time. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. I think like everybody in the golf world, just kind of shocked with today's developments. How do you view it? Because I obviously know where you stood at the the early stages of LIV and those golfers from the PGA Tour that made that jump. How do you feel about what has taken place so far today as the news continues to be fluid, but at least substantially to this point, what has taken place? Well, I think like uh, most people in golf, my head really right now is spinning, and it's almost like you don't have enough information to really wrap your arms around where we're at and what's going to happen. But it's been kind of interesting just to watch and observe um, some of the media reaction, some of the player reaction. And I think there are many people out there, JMV, that feel like this was a sellout by the PGA Tour. Um, and it's it's been uh, quite intriguing to watch some of the clips of interviews that were done with Commissioner Jay Monahan over the past year and some of the things that he said about Liv, the Saudis, uh, their public investment fund. And, uh, you know, here we are um, doing really almost a complete 360-degree turn, and now uh, these people are, are partners with the PGA Tour. And I, we're left to, as always, say, yep, money won out again, even with the words that you mentioned from Monaghan, and everybody's bringing that back now. I mean, these strong, these hard words, and not to mention the fact that, you know, he and they had a lot of these golfers like Roy McIlroy, for example, really go to bat for them, to hang with them. I can't imagine what that reaction is going to be this afternoon somewhere in Canada. Uh, well, exactly. And I, I just watched an interview with Brandel Chambly on Golf Channel, and specifically he referred to Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy, uh, two guys that have been absolutely loyal to the PGA Tour that turned down millions of dollars uh, for moral reasons. And they've been very outspoken in their support of the PGA Tour. And I cannot imagine uh, how people like that feel, but uh, there's been a lot of comments from just uh, rank-and-file PGA Tour players at the Canadian Open that um, are really distraught. I mean, uh, critical of the stance that the PGA Tour has had. And, you know, some of the interesting uh, things, you know, questions that have been asked uh, will ultimately the way the the tour is going to look being structured going forward. And it's kind of complicated, but there's going to be two business structures. There's, they're going to continue to be a 501 um, C6 um, operation that's going to govern the the tour activities that take place, the tournaments that take place. That's going to remain in a, in a non-for-profit status, but then all their commercial business is going to go into this other for-profit business entity with the DP World Tour and the uh, Saudi Public Investment Fund. And, and that investment fund is going to really be the financial driver for this. And so people are asking, will ultimately PIF control and own American golf? And if that's the case, then what's next? 
um, you know, they've, they've, they've been kind of legitimatized by the PGA Tour. And, uh, you know, will they go after the NFL next? I mean, it, it's just a really complicated series of questions. It seems like that there's an endless amount of money stream coming from where this is coming from right now. And, see, these are questions, and you're right. I don't know how smoothly, how quickly we're going to get a lot of these answers to these questions, but I would agree with you. I think this stuff that you're talking about, even beyond the game of golf right now, Ted, I think that there are legitimate worries moving forward. Well, I don't think there's any question about it, and I think that uh, uh, some of the, uh, you know, they just did an interview with Keith Pelley, who's the CEO of of the DP World Tour, and, and Rich Lerner from Golf Channel asked him some very provocative questions about the relationship with the Saudis and and their stance on human rights and torture. And, you know, Pelly basically was very matter-of-fact and said, you know, we don't mix sports with world politics. We're not about human rights. And um, just a few minutes ago, there's an organization called uh, 9-11 Families United, and um you know, one of these clips I mentioned, uh, an interview that Monahan had done with, with Nance was was almost a year ago to the day. And uh, Jay talked about uh, just the empathy that he had for 9-11 families and how those guys that committed to the live tour certainly, um, you know, didn't feel that same uh, type of uh, – Emotion, I guess, with with what happened at 9/11 and and this uh, organization, 9/11 Families United, just uh, released a, as you can imagine, a very scathing um, news release towards the PGA Tour and, and towards Monahan. So it's uh, uh, man, it's it's crazy, and and I think once again, it just goes to show that uh, money oftentimes trumps morality. The 38th president of the PGA of America in front of this show, Ted Bishops, via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline on the big news, the big golfing news of the day. I kind of thought about this immediately. There are a lot of quotes that go through my head whenever this news broke. Uh, this from the film Wall Street, when Bud Fox told Gordon Gecko, tell me, Gordon, when does it all end? How many yachts can you water ski behind? How much is enough? I think what we're learning with everything now it's never enough, is it? No, it, it, it's not. And uh, I think that uh, the, the other big issue that you're going to have and where there's a lot of uh, pain with the current PGA Tour players is going to be the reentry of the live players back onto the PGA Tour. I mean, this is going to happen. They're going to give these guys uh, the ability to come back. So now you've had individuals that have taken the live money who are going to now be allowed to come back and play on the PGA Tour. And I'm sure that there's going to be a ton of resentment uh, initially with those guys. I think the other interesting issue is going to be the antitrust regulations uh, that this merger is going to no doubt uh, stimulate and certainly in Washington, D.C. And uh, it's kind of interesting and people would forget this, but that the NFL-AFL merger actually required an act of Congress to avoid antitrust laws. 
uh, the PGA Tour is already being um, subjected to a pretty thorough review by the Department of Justice on their business operations. So uh, it, it remains to be seen uh, what those people are going to do with this. So Ted Bishop, who joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, um, is have you seen it all is beyond, I guess, the fact that, that ultimately you'll get to see these guys play weekly together, but you were seeing them playing the majors together anyway. Do you, do you see, is there any type of, hey, oh, wow, hey, that's nice. Is there anything good in your estimation, at least on the surface, that's coming out of this? And can you look at it from the PGA side at all and find anything good from it? Well, you know, the interesting thing is all the experts will tell you that the PGA Tour was on their way to winning uh, the lawsuit that uh, they were involved with with Lyft. So I felt like just as a casual observer of golf today, which is really all I am, that as time went by, the live issue was becoming less and less a factor. Yeah, the, their top players had had some success playing in the major championships, but sooner or later, based on the format that they were playing, they were going to run out of world ranking points. And if they, their only avenue to uh, entry into a major championship was going to be to be a former champion. And I just felt like that uh, younger players, new new names on the PGA Tour were getting an opportunity to showcase themselves. And golf was kind of moving to a good place. And you, you just kind of felt really good about the stance of the PGA Tour, which is an American sports institution. And it's like today, all that changed. And I get sick and tired when I hear – large conglomerates like this talk about how much this is a growth of the game issue. Well, I I don't really see how (laughs) this is going to grow the sport. Yeah, it's going to grow the certainly the bank accounts of the elite players that play the sport, but uh, for the average person in Scotland, the United States, Japan, Spain, wherever they're playing golf worldwide, uh, you got to show me how this is going to grow the sport. Here's Ted Bishop. One final thing, Ted, before I let you go. When you look at it in, in terms of why this decision was made, is there an aspect beyond the financials of it that you would understand why a decision like this was made? You know, I think that, uh, that that's a great question, and that question was act, actually asked um, to a, a couple of the so-called experts that, that I was watching, and they felt like, you know, one of the reasons was that it was going to avoid um, the lingering uh, legal issues that were out there between Liv and PGA Tour. They thought this was going to be a long and very expensive lawsuit, that the only winners were going to be the attorneys, obviously. Um, the PGA Tour... Uh, does kind of face the dilemma of of having what I would call um, the entanglement of some of their business entities who are already involved with Saudi Arabia and their PIF fund. Um, And then I would say, I would say those would, would have been maybe the two biggest issues that would have led them down this road. But I think the bottom line is I, I, I really wonder this at the end of the day, and I'm talking five, 10 years down the road, I, I think maybe the PGA Tour possibly had some financial concerns in their business plan about the sustainability of the purses that they're now offering. And when they went to 
these expanded, um, you know, formats where eight PGA Tour events are, are offering purses of $20 million. The Players' Championship is 25 And I don't know what the sustainability of that would be because it's been no secret that a lot of what I would call the regular tour events that didn't fall into the expanded categories, they've taken a beating. Um, as you can imagine, because they haven't had the fields that they would have had in the past. And there was a lot of unrest, you know, on that part of the PGA Tour structure. So um, there's a lot of people that are a lot smarter than you and I that that were involved in this decision. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Hey, Ted, I know that uh, you're probably getting called up about 9,000 times today because of this. The 38th president of the PGA of America is Ted Bishop down in Franklin at the Legends. Thank you for giving us time and sorting this out here at the beginning of the show. And uh, uh, we'll catch up with you once we learn a little bit more. But, again, thanks for jumping on here as quickly as you did. No, no problem. Hope that helped you out some. You got it. Ted Bishop right there. Thanks, Ted. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Mandy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline, as we continue to search for even more answers revolving around the allegations, the ownership of betting of Isaiah Rogers, defensive back of the Colts, and to help us explain that even more in depth from ESPN.com, it is Stephen Holder. Hello, Stephen. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself, sir? Well, good. Uh, just having to rip a little bit on my alma mater, which stings a little bit, and I hate to have to do it. And I'm, I'm trying yeah. at the same time trying not to, you know, trying not to crap on, you know, what is just a, a great story with a baseball team that deserves nothing but love right now, and then yeah, having to yeah. to bring up that that fiasco. Um, unfortunately, um, over there for this coming weekend and that matchup with TCU is incredibly unfortunate. Much like this with Isaiah Rogers. For what we know right now, this is just an incredibly knuckleheaded decision that is likely to cost him certainly his career here in Indy, but jeopardizing his career moving forward. Is that still what we know to this point? Um, I, I think you have to look at this from the perspective of of everything for Isaiah Rogers being in jeopardy. And you know, everything that he has has worked for, everything that he has built Clearly, the the NFL still has to finish its investigation, so I'll be I'll be clear about that part. You know, this isn't over, but but the facts that we were able to dig up, uh, my colleague and I, they're they're pretty they're pretty damning if they are proven to be true, and it, it's going to be tough to come back from. I think the the precedent has been set for the NFL. If you bet on your team, well, frankly, if you bet on football, you're getting a year if they can establish that. And then if you bet on your team, then that's, you know, to, to use kind of a, a legal phrase, it's almost like an aggravating factor, you know. And and I think at that point, everything's on the table. So it's unfortunate, and I hate to see it. I it, I didn't enjoy writing that story. I like Isaiah. Uh, he's, a, he's a good player, a good, kind of good human being with a great demeanor and, and had a, a bright future as a player. But, uh, yeah, it's – 
all of it's potentially in jeopardy now. So Stephen Holder of ESPN.com is with us. So when did the Colts find out compared to when Isaiah Rogers knew that he was under investigation? Okay, great question. So Isaiah Rogers, I don't know when he found out specifically, but he has known, as far as I can tell, he has had knowledge of this investigation for a while. The Colts, based on everything that I was told, and I I have some specifics on this, the Colts, from everything I was told, they're just learning about this now. As a matter of fact, it, it appears they just learned yesterday. So make of that what you will, but that's the timelines. Those are the two timelines as I understand them. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good at all. <laughs> like, yeah. what, like, you know, what, do, we, do we do and, it? And, it wouldn't, and they, they may not have found out even when they did had the leak not happened. And the leak did not come from the NFL, as best as I can tell. Uh, it, it appears the leak came from from gambling sources or you know gaming sources if you will, from that arena and not from the NFL sources. My NFL sources didn't have a whole lot of information on this because they weren't in the know. So I I wonder, had it not come out yesterday, when, in fact, the Colts would have gained knowledge of this? It's very interesting to think about. You know, they, they may still have been in the dark. Yeah, that's not good whatsoever. What has been reported um, is bad enough. Do you think that maybe it goes much deeper than what we have heard so far? Is it pretty much? I'm just your opinion more than what you know right now. Is it kind of what has been reported, or might it go more deeper than what we have known? Well, what I can say is that it is possible that there's more we don't know. I I would not sit here and tell you that we have all the information. I don't know that that's true. Now, I can't also I, I also cannot say for sure that there is more, but but I, I I'm not telling you that we heard everything. I mean, we we ascertained the information that was available to us. Whether there's more, I can't speak to that. It, it's totally possible. So Stephen Holder of ESPN.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I, I can't imagine that the Colts, uh, upon learning about this yesterday and then noting certainly that Isaiah had knowledge of it prior to, uh, that's probably not going to help the situation at all for Isaiah. If it uh, can be, if there is any, you know, repairable type of situation here, that's certainly not going to help. That sounds bad. Yeah, I, I always wonder in these cases, like, is there any – you know, responsibility. <clears throat> excuse me. Any responsibility on the on the player's part. You know, to to inform the team. I, I mean, I don't know. There, there's not. You know, by any rule, there's not. There's not necessarily a responsibility. But but clearly, it impacts the team as well. So, and I can also understand the conflicting feelings, right? I mean, you know what it means to your career if this thing goes in in a negative direction. Um, you're probably wanting to to put off any ramifications as long as possible. So, and and who knows? I mean, I don't know how agents tell them to handle these things. I don't know what the expectations are. I don't know, uh, but but I do know uh, from every indication, Isaiah Rogers has known for some time 
but the but the the Colts are just now learning about it. Well, and we're all going to have to start really educating ourselves on this because this is by far not going to be the last time we'll be dealing with something like this. We all know that. Yeah. yeah. And and here's the thing. Now, one one Colts source I did talk to, there was a lot of frustration with this person because, and I asked, I asked this source, you know, is there some, you know, sort of uncertainty about, you know, guys' understanding of the rules? You know, are these guys are young? The betting, uh, online online gaming is is new in in many cases for most of us. You know, is there any misunderstanding about this? And this person was not having it. This source, he said, and he said, no, there's no excuse. They know, and if they don't know, they should know. And it, and look, if you walk into the Colts locker room, there is signage, you know, talking about betting. I know that they they bring in uh, speakers to talk to them, both from the league and from independent um, sources as well, to talk to them about you know the the gaming and what is and isn't allowed. Uh, you know, they understand, they should at least understand. I know that there was some, there was some talk coming out of Detroit from those players uh, that, that they had a misunderstanding about the rules in some of those cases. You know, you might recall recently they had a big dust up there. They had uh, five players who got caught up in a, an investigation, but, but that is not a defense as far as the, as far as the NFL is concerned. That's not a defense. They don't want to hear. We didn't know. They, they don't care. They don't, whether it's true or not, they don't care. So Stephen Older, who joins us. So will that make the Colts rethink how they address and educate their team in the future, having this happen? Well, I I think that is a question that Shane Steichen is going to have to answer tomorrow. You know, when they have, um, they have OTAs tomorrow, well, they have them every day, but uh, the, the media is present tomorrow. And I think that's going to have to be one of the questions he hopefully addresses. Now, he's not one to just kind of tackle the big questions very often, but I think this is one that, that he's going to have to not dodge. I think he's going to have to address this head on. And I think that is something the organization should be asking themselves. There should be no doubt among your players. And, and if they do it in spite of that, then that's on them. But it, there shouldn't be any doubt um, – in, in your locker room, what is and is not allowed. And so if, if Isaiah Rodgers went out on a limb and did this despite knowing, you know, I know it's alleged, but we'll, so we'll talk about it in that respect. If he allegedly did this um, despite having full knowledge of, of it not being allowed, then that's on him. But it, there should be no misunderstanding, at least from the communication standpoint. You mentioned that Shane Steichen's going to meet with you guys coming up tomorrow out at OTAs. That has been scheduled. I'm assuming that Chris will not be out there. That is not scheduled. But I would ask you this. Should he be? Should he be out there? Should he be front and center and maybe dealing with these questions given the circumstances here? Um, I, I get the question. And, and I don't disagree. Um, I, I would say the caveat is that the investigation is still ongoing. So that is probably going to um, motivate him to, to at least wait for the outcome, is my guess. You know, I, I do think this is a, 
I think this goes beyond a, a coach level matter. I do agree. I, yeah, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking right here yeah. too. And even yeah. even yeah, if just, he even if there are places at some point. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, even if yeah. if he's you know clearly can't go you know you know to where people want him to go in answering questions because of the ongoing investigation. I mean, he he can maneuver in and out. I'm assuming in a much better way than Shane Steichen can for you guys and for everybody really. Yeah, I mean he's 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 better equipped to do it. He's better at it. Um, I think you know we would get more information or at least more feedback. I, I think from Chris Ballard. So we'll see. We'll see. It's a it's a fair question. Um, like I said, I do think for right now, the Colts will probably fall back on on it being an an open investigation. So maybe not yeah. quite put Chris Ballard out there right now. But I do think at some point if and when this thing comes to a head and there's a resolution, I think that's a fair expectation at that point that maybe we hear from the general manager. And and the reason why I bring that up is, and and nothing against Shane Steichen, but I I think Chris would be better prepared to, to not, to answer the questions um, that, that are being asked about this in a way where he can answer them as opposed to the head coach in doing so. I would agree with you. There are some things that he's not going to be able to go. I just think this is probably this falls upon I think the shoulders of the the general manager probably to take a question or two about that tomorrow and and let the head coach concentrate on OTA and player stuff. That's just my thought. Yeah, it's it's, it's more in the domain yeah, of right. of of the team management rather than than coaching. I don't know how much coaches talk about this stuff. I, I imagine they they have addressed it some fashion but but it's i don't think it's a a primary focus either would would this at all lead you to believe are we naive if we think and i know the report had no other cults involved but are we naive to believe that this isn't going on with others and you know certainly in other teams but might be going on with others within the team are we naive or is that just what's going on I would say that I, I doubt that every player that's committed a violation has been caught. <laughs> okay, I mean, the, it's just too accessible for for that to be true, in my view. I'm talking about you know online gambling. It's just mobile gambling, whatever you want to call it. I don't I don't know all the vernacular, but it's just too accessible. You know, I mean, it's for us to sit here and and really assume with a straight face that that there are not other guys. And I don't even mean just Colts. I mean just in general, around the league, you know. Uh, there have been quite a few guys caught up lately, but is that the is that the full accounting? I doubt it. Uh, so here's the thing. I was asked this on another interview earlier, and, and I'll say it here. I think if you're the NFL, you have to kind of decide now, do you have to just kind of take a zero-tolerance approach to this? I'm not advocating for it. I have no problem with gambling in and of itself, but I think if you're the NFL, you know, particularly when there's an allegation of a player betting, um, you know, on games that involve his team, now you're getting into an area where, you know, the fundamental bedrock of your league, you know, becomes under scrutiny. And I'm talking about competitive balance or not competitive balance. Oh, the, the integrity of the game. The integrity, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I, I know a lot of people may, may say that's unfair. Maybe they, they shouldn't be so strict, but 
NFL don't give a damn about fear, okay? This is <laughs> this is too important for them, right? So I, I'm just telling you, I, I think they have to think about everything there. They're going to have to reevaluate everything. Between what happened in Detroit, there was also a Washington player, and then now what's alleged to have happened here, I, I just think there's so much smoke that they got to get ahead of this because I don't think they have a handle on it. So Stephen Holder on the Andy Moore Automotive Group pipeline. I want to move away to that and get to the signing of Rashard Perryman. I don't like to use this cliche very often because it wears me out. The kicking of the tires, kicking the tires, which if there was ever a definition of that, that's exactly what their Colts are doing right now. I guess the question I would have, why Perryman? Why does that make sense now more than it has in the past? I'm just kind of curious. What What is different? What might they feel is different about him in not producing and not being the player as a first-round pick formerly that he was living up to be here? What, why did they feel it was different right now? Why, why did they feel it necessary or at least felt compelled to take a chance on him now? I, I think it's a great question. I don't have a great answer. I mean, I, I, I think when you talk about kicking the tires – for me, that's exactly what this is. I, I think the question is, are they kicking the tires on, you know, uh, an 84 Regal? Or are they kicking the tires, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, a Toyota with, with like, you know, 20,000 miles? You know, I, I don't. <laughs> I, would di- I think I would dig on an 84 Buick Regal, to be honest with you. So. Actually, the 84 Regal is probably not terrible. That's, that's a bad example. That's, depending on the condition, that's not bad. Yeah. Uh, you could get some money for that. But, you know, think you know, think of a, a jalopy versus, a, you know, um, a, a mid-sized sedan with, you know, with 25,000 miles. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's what we're talking about here. <laughs> what are we talking about? I don't know. I guess we'll see. I don't think it – I don't think it necessarily changes the calculus at wide receiver really at all for me. Uh, I think for Broussard Perriman, the first order of business for him is posture, and then we'll see what happens from there. That's where I think he's at. Yeah. What do you have? Nine receptions a year ago. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that was after, like, everybody got hurt. I think it was, too, yeah. It was. Yeah. It yeah. just. It, it just. Uh, I. I just kind of wondered why this was different. I'm, I'm sure that like Chris Ballard's out there listening, saying, "Hey, numbnuts, all you ever do is scream about me signing a wide receiver, and I do, and you're wondering why I did it." So I. I completely understand that angle too, but it just. I was just kind of curious why him as opposed to either others now or others in the past. I just. I'm kind of curious. No, I, I think it's a fair question, and and as I said, I. I don't have like a great answer for it. I was, I shrugged. That was my reaction when they made this move. I, I shrugged and was kind of like, okay, uh, sure, whatever. <laughs> that was my reaction. I, I mean, frankly, look, I, I think I like what they have at the top end. Look, they don't have, they don't, they don't have a, a truly elite receiver. And, and when I say elite, you know, we're talking about the cream of the crop. They do, they do not have that, right? And that's fine, whatever. We we know that. But I, I think I like what they have in Michael Pittman, you know, Alec Pierce. I like Josh Downs. I think he's an upgrade possibly over Isaiah McKenzie as a slot. So I think that's a nice little battle there to watch in training camp. Um, you know, we'll see after that. You know, what are we talking about? Aston Doolin, I guess, and the likes of him. So, I mean, 
it's an adequate group. I, I think the question is going to be for me, uh, how much better does a, does a change at quarterback make Pierce and make even Pittman? I think Pierce has the chance for the biggest jump because now you have a quarterback that suits his game. And his game, talking about Pierce, his game is get down the field and, and go up and get the football. Well, that should be a perfect fit for, uh, for the quarterback that they have now, right, and Anthony Richardson. So theoretically, that makes a lot of sense. I think with Pittman, uh, if the running game gets a little kick in the pants, uh, he's going to maybe get better matchups and, and be able to, to have some run after the catch. I think he could be more effective theoretically as well. Um, but they're going to have to still do it by committee. I don't think they're going to have, you know, just a, a dominant receiver who, who you just can't stop. I think it's still a little bit by committee at wide receiver for them. All right, wide wide receiver, quarterback-wise, I, I don't know how much you guys have seen, and you know, obviously we've seen the occasional video when you guys are allowed to to be out there and, and post it, for example, on Twitter. But um, any thoughts at all redeemable here regarding Anthony Richardson and what you have seen out there live so far? Well, I would say this. I, I think the live arm – is going to make a difference. I, I do think that for all of his inaccuracy that's talked about, and it's fair, it's, it's totally fair, but for all of his inaccuracy and in the conversation around that, uh, you did not see him throw a lot of interceptions in college, which I thought was notable. And, and one of the reasons I think for that is he doesn't make, like, terrible decisions. So that's one. And then you have the reality is that you know, he doesn't throw lollipop balls, okay? That ball's coming, and it's going to who it's meant for. And so if you're a defender, you bet, you're going to have to have, you're going to have to have a heck of a jump on the ball because that ball's coming in hot. So you know, maybe that's not the greatest thing if you're on, on the side of the, you know, the side of the, the receiver who's catching that football, <laughs> and you've got to snatch that thing. But, but I, I do think, you know, when you've got, you know, Matt Ryan toward the end of last year, for example, I mean – I, I don't know if the shoulder injury had any effect on this or not, but, you know, the, the zip wasn't there. And that makes it easier for defenders. There's no doubt about it. So, anyway, I don't know if that answers the question. Oh, yeah, it makes it, I think it makes it easier for his offensive line, too, if if, if yeah. Shane Steichen yeah. is what people believe he is to be. Uh, I think it makes that offensive line, well, it has to be better than what it does a year ago. And I, I think, Stephen, yeah. they're, they're counting on that to a degree, right? Because it's not like that yeah. there's been major moves here. You're talking about basically the same thing other than trying to reestablish who's going to play right guard. They're running it back. They're running it back. And I think we can we can certainly ask a lot of questions about that, but but there's no doubt about it. They are they they're saying what what I think they're saying, whether intentionally or not, is they are saying we put a lot of last year's problems on the quarterback. Now I don't think it it was completely on the quarterback. I mean, I saw the left tackle get get destroyed many times. I think I like Bernard Raymond. I'm just saying, you know, I, we saw what happened there. We saw what happened at, at right guard. We saw Quentin Nelson have some terrible snaps last year, right? We saw all that. All that happened. And I think a lot of it was independent of the quarterback. The quarterbacks didn't help, let's be clear. But uh, they are, by their actions, the Colts are saying, uh, we think a lot of that was, was on the quarterback's shoulders. So we'll see if they're right.
It's uh, Stephen Older of ESPN.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. All right, well, we'll see what happens. You guys lobbing some questions at the new head coach coming up tomorrow. I'm sure that's exactly what he wanted to do is answer those questions. Oh, he wants to be he wants to be five words in in a sentence and out. And I don't know if he's going to have oh, yeah. going to have that option coming up tomorrow. You know, this this is the thing. This is the job, man. And and I think. You know, particularly young head coaches who have not done this job before. You know, when you're the coordinator, no one asks you about the off the field problems. No one asks you about, you know, the roster or roster moves and things like that. No one asks you about that. You know, when you're when you're the offensive coordinator, when you're the head coach, you get all of those questions. So, all right, you know, you got to put your big boy pants on because it's different, you know. But I look, he's a smart guy. He's no he's no fool or anything. He'll figure it out. But I but I do think there's an adjustment there that first-time head coaches are sometimes not particularly equipped for at least initially so it'll be interesting well i mean it's going to be the first time because you guys i and others have described him as being quote all ball this is going to be the first time he hasn't been all ball and this is not quite in a subject in which you ease into you know what i mean so yeah (laughs) yeah it's going to be a bumpy ride it ain't going to be the last time look i mean (laughs) someone's going to get arrested someone's going to do something dumb or Someone's going to do something on social media that causes a distraction, whatever, right? I mean, it, these things are going to happen. They're, that's just what it is. You got 53 grown men, and there are going to be issues from time to time. So you can't dodge all of them. You're going to have to take some of them on. So I think this is one of those. Well, Stephen Holder there of ESPN.com of the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pilot. I appreciate you, man. Have a great day. All right, brother. See you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Let's bring on board now on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, Greg Rakestraw, who's been doing golf today. We'll get to that subject in a minute. But what was your thoughts on the way all of this has played out over in Terre Haute regarding the hosting and then not hosting of the Super Regional? Uh, Disappointing uh, because it's the first negative that's been associated with ISU baseball all year. So I, I, I hope to goodness they make it to the College World Series for a lot of reasons. If they do, then this will kind of get quietly swept under the rug. I think it is a monumental mistake. I understand, you know, the commitment to Special Olympics, and that is very noble. I understand the limitations um, that ISU has as an athletic office uh, and that what they just went through this past weekend um, is, is something pretty special and unique. But, again, I, I – I, I, I just don't think you can you can withdraw that bid the way they did and have now talked about a week ago. There's no way that looks good. So uh, I hope that uh, I hope that for for the Sycamore's sake, for Sherrard's sake, I like Sherrard a lot. I hope for everybody's sake over there in Terre Haute that they find a way to win two out of three games because if they do, we won't talk about this uh, in in great detail. If they get beat, 
and maybe we will, and that's a shame because it's a it's a negative on what has been such a positive story for Indiana State University. Well, I asked him to come on today, and he texted me back and said that he was going to let this press conference speak for itself. Um, I wish he would have still called in. I think he should have called. I still think he should call in right now, to be honest with you. Because I still have some more questions that I think need to be answered. I mean, maybe it sounds outrageous, outlandish. And I, I guess when you put in a bid, you can't go someplace else and play, right? There are all these ideas about why couldn't you go here? Why couldn't you go there? If it were an acceptable venue to play that super regional, not in Terre Haute, but certainly closer to Indiana State's campus in this case, I, I guess that is was all out of the picture, Correct. From what I gather, I have no. Honestly, I have no idea. So that, I, I don't either. Me, I don't know if that was asked, right. and I kind of want to know. All right. To me, that would be more of an NCA question. Are you allowed to play games at a neutral site? And because there has been such little history for schools in our state to get to host a regional, let alone a super regional, like one of the only one of the only answers I can think of is that Purdue in 2012. When they were the Big Ten champs, that was the year before Alexander Field, their old stadium, which was uh, not great, to put, put it nicely, they hosted a regional at the Steel Yard in Gary. So they hosted at a neutral site. So, you know, it's been done before. I'm not sure if it has been changed from 2012 to 2023. I don't know. Um, again, I, I, I understand all the reasons behind it. I think it's still a, a lack of planning and something that even if you get few opportunities to do this, you've got to be better prepared when those opportunities come your way. Yeah, I, I want to know, too, that they exhausted every opportunity, and I don't know that right now. It just sounds like that they, you know, five days after submitting that bid, bailed and thought, yeah, this is going to be way too much. And some had told me that um, President Curtis was the loudest voice of saying there's no way we're going to be able to do all of this. And, you know, if, if that's – true it just kind of it kind of sounds like major league you know what i mean i mean we're not really working with these guys these guys that work their ass off you know mitch and this team to get where they are you know and get this university more notoriety that we've all been looking for and i agree with you this is a massive swing and a miss well what it sounds like is small time and again you are trying to prove that you, without having as big of a budget or in as big of a market or with as large of an alumni base, but this sport has allowed you a chance to compete with those larger schools. And again, of, of the many things that were great about this past weekend in Terre Haute was the fact that Iowa fans spent three days in Terre Haute and North Carolina fans spent three days in Terre Haute. And now you have missed on an opportunity to have a Big 12 program come to your place because your team earned that right for that to be the case. And the fact that you weren't ready for your moment in the spotlight is disappointing. Now, again, Mitch Hannes and the baseball team can bail some of the others out that weren't ready for that moment in the spotlight, and I hope they do. Yeah, I just saw this as well. Rick Simler, somebody we, we know over at Channel 10 in Terre Haute, also had tweeted out that Sherrard said that had he known now, uh, back on, I guess, what, the 27th is what I said a little bit earlier, then he would not have pulled it, which is not a good answer. <laughs> 
So <laughs> I, appre- I appreciate your honesty. Yeah, not no, a good look. That is yep. not a good, not a good answer whatsoever. So yeah, you're right. I mean, ultimately, you know, Mitch can and his team can you know wipe the slate clean here. But if they have close games and such, right. and that is going to be incredibly problematic right there. It just is. And, that's, and, and, and again, I'll, I'll go back to what I said big picture. I, I hope this is not the negative stain on what has been such a wonderful story. Agreed. Because let, let's face it, I, I'm, I'm not an alum you are. I spent a good amount of time on the program. I know so many people like John Sherman, like Luke Martin, even though he's not associated with the program anymore. You know, I, I consider Ace Hunt a part of this over in Terre Haute. I, I spent parts of three three summers I was in high school. I spent parts of those summers in Terre Haute. I'm not an alum, but I have a passion for that place. And having spent so much time at the low to mid-major level of Division One athletics, again, this, this is a rare chance for you to be able to dictate on your terms, hey, you're coming to our place. Uh, and so I, I, I hate that. And, again, I I think the baseball story has been so, so good for that university because I think Indiana State does a lot of things right, but yet enrollment is down. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. market. It's an affordable education. There are very valuable degrees there. This is a chance for the baseball program to kind of lift everybody up. Correct. I just hope it continues. Well, I mean, you know, money, you know, athletic department money, Greg, and I think the enrollment is at a level now that maybe it was at when it was before it was called Indiana State, when it was the Indiana Teachers College, and that's that's not good. And, and, and you're right about the entire thing. And I, I I believe it. I mean, I don't go over there and watch a lot of games, but I always have my finger on the pulse of stuff, and I love it. I try to promote it in this market as much as possible because I just think it's needed. And I love my time over there, and I want to share that with people. And I hope to, at some point, persuade those that go, yeah, you know what, Terre Haute, I don't want to go over there, to maybe have some interest in going over there, whether it's you know go over there to go to school for the academics or go over there and play sports, whatever the case might be. I endlessly promote it, and I just hate the look of all this, especially in a season in which I think you accurately bring up in detail has been so spectacular for this baseball team. It just seems like that baseball team and everybody around there deserves a little bit more than what they're getting right here. Correct. And hopefully they can, again, they can atone for a misstep. They had that opportunity this weekend. So Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potlon, you're out crooked stick. You and Lance Ringler. How is the Ringler doing with the color Ringler, commentary today? Ringler is phenomenal. So there are, there are many in your neck of the woods and throughout the state of Indiana that know Lance as uh, an outstanding high school basketball referee. Yes. Lance is also the preeminent college golf writer in the country. Uh, Lance is based in the Bloomington area down in Ellettsville. So Lance, for a second year in a row, has joined me on the coverage of the Die Junior Invitational. So these are 36 of the top um, junior golf players in the country, and there were some international players in the field as well. Um, Most of the players that are seniors, if not juniors, have already verbal to play. Uh, There were three girls from Indiana, all local one boy from Indiana, the defending IHSA state champion, and, and Aiden Gutierrez from Valparaiso. He actually is playing in this event in between the sectional and regional rounds of the tournament. Um, he, so he'll go back to play the regional up in, up, uh, in northwest Indiana on Thursday. The uh, girls' winner uh, was from Naples, Florida. Boys' winners from Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. 
and uh, I just wrapped up about uh, six hours of live golf with one commercial break in six hours. That's not much. That's a lot of talking. <laughs> um, but as you know, Rindler talks a lot. <laughs> yes, he and does. Golf. I, can, I just kind of lay out and let the sounds of nature you know, uh, dominate the broadcast. Well, you know, Ringler's wife is and has been a fantastic golfer. How good of a golfer is Ringler? Can you just talk? Not as good as his wife. His wife would kick his ass. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm I'm sure he would kick mine. uh, As I posted on Facebook yesterday, my golf swing is awful. My golf voice is beautiful. And thankfully, I was working on the golf voice and not the swing today. Uh, you were right about that, too. He is he is known as a fantastic high school official. And we, we need more of the Lance Ringlers, who is top-notch and also is pretty dedicated. You you see him yep. officiating everywhere, Greg. He, he said he's already booked 60 games for this coming year. And a mutual friend of ours... I'm going to publicize this story now, and we're going to spread this to others that do the written word um, as, as we get closer to it. But he's got a buddy named Casey Gaynor that has done games for a long time in this state. He will actually have done a game in every gym in the state with a game he does on January the 2nd. In other words, he has basically done a game where he has worked for all 400 and I think it's now 10 member institutions. He'll complete that circuit coming up this January. Mm. That is pretty awesome. Hey, before I let you go, too, what would you think about that merger? I know you were doing other things today, and that news was breaking as you you and Lance were, were calling the action at Crooked Stick. What do you think about the merger today? Because, as you know, Ted Bishop was on earlier and had some things to say about it, as you probably would anticipate. What do you yeah. think about it? Ted is not a shrinking violet, that's for sure, right. so that doesn't surprise me. Um, I'm a little surprised that, that live. I wouldn't say live caved, um, but that because the pockets are so deep for that organization that they didn't mind just continuously throwing money at it uh, and, and, and trying to win the battle that direction. Um, I'm a little surprised the PGA – I wouldn't say PGA – I don't know the details, so I wouldn't say the PGA Tour caved, but what it the, – the, here, here, here's the no-doubt winner in this, in this situation, fans. You're going to see Brooks Kepka play more events. You're going to see Bryson DeChambeau play more events. You're going to see Phil Mickelson play more events. And that's a good thing for everybody involved. So, you know, when this whole thing went down, um, I, I didn't find myself rooting for the PGA Tour and how they carry themselves, even though the PGA Tour was in the right. Um, and so I really don't care, you know, who has more egg on their face, whether it's Live, PGA, you know, the old European tour, it's the DP World Tour. Don't care about all that. The fans won today because now you will see all the top players back together more often, and that's good for everybody involved. Greg Rakestraw is with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So will Isaiah Rogers be on this roster if we're talking at about this time next week? I highly doubt it. Um, if, if you are guilty of betting on your own team, um, it, it might be a very, very long suspension for him. Yeah, well, and I think he's got one year left on a deal, so he might as well go ahead and punt. And it's just—it's amazing on on how knuckleheaded you are to completely sideswipe your career in this fashion. On what what has at least have been reported, maybe there's going to end up being more twenty-five to fifty-dollar parlay bets. It's absolutely incredible. There are certain things you cannot do. 
And that is one of the do-not-pass-go rules that you are instructed about as a rookie in the league and then reminded you cannot bet on the sport on which you are playing. Period. End of sentence. Cannot do it. No wiggle rooms, no, no wiggle room, no exceptions, nothing. Can't do it. And, again, you are throwing away what is a promising career. Greg, I appreciate you adjusting a little bit today, man. And uh, if you see Lance again soon, tell him we said hello. Will do, buddy. Thank you.